Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 9 of Revelation, a dark chapter describing more of the judgments on the God-rejecting world, which the church has already been taken out of. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. We're going to go from light to darkness. This is a very, very dark chapter. And uh, as we get into this, please remember, you and I have the light of Christ, that we have the promises of Christ to us, that we are not appointed to wrath. Keep that in mind as we move through this. Otherwise, you could get lost in this and think, oh my. But remember, the things that we're studying here, they're not for us. But we need to know these things because they're for our friends, they're for our neighbors, they're for the people around us who do not know Christ. And you and I have been placed, and I believe these are the last days. That doesn't mean I'm predicting the time when Jesus will come. I'm not doing any of that. But I'm telling you exactly what Jesus says. You can look at the sky and tell there's a storm coming. And we see the clouds building. And even the things we are talking about this morning, the divisiveness that exists in our world today, is part of telling us the time in which we live. It's a divided time. And, man, the enemy is just fast at work. And there's not a day that we don't open up our newspaper or turn it. Does anybody read newspaper anymore? Open our iPhones and read the news, right? or watch it on TV or listen to it on the radio as we're traveling and we hear all these different reports of potential disasters looming, you know, um, missiles being developed that are hypersonic and, you know, China doing something, Russia doing something, everybody doing things. And, you know, we look at the weather and we look at the, the, the catastrophes that are taking around the world and boy, it's just like it's reaching a crescendo. And then we open up and we begin to look at what Jesus said would be coming in our time. And we begin to look at what Revelation says, and we begin to see a pattern here and saying, you know what? I'm not saying it's tomorrow. I'm not saying it's this year. I'm saying, man, we're in a window of time. We're in a window of time where things are happening, and you and I are not here by accident, and we need to remember that. We weren't just placed here to just go about life as normal. We were placed for a specific purpose, just as every generation of believers has. And our purpose may very well be to be that final reach out to those around us who don't know Christ because we are warning them, because we know what's coming. You know, they laughed at Noah because he warned of the flood. But for 120 years, the scriptures tell us that he continued to preach righteousness. He didn't back down. He continued to do it anyways because he knew truth. He knew the storm was coming. And he knew his purpose was to warn people that the storm was coming. And you and I are too. Amen? So let's look at this this morning. Let's read chapter 9. I'm going to read down um, to, uh, let's see, where do we want to take it down to? Let's read down to verse, well, let's read the whole thing this morning. And then, then we got our context. It says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. That out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. 
Shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had a king over them. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm." But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship or that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or the sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So We're looking at these trumpets that are being sounded and these judgments are unfolding as they go. And as this trumpet is sounded, what John says he sees is a star that he says he sees fallen from heaven to the earth. Now, there's several important things worth noting here if you want to understand what's being explained to us. First of all, this star is not a cosmic entity but rather it's a symbolic reference to a person. Well, wait a minute. Aren't you drawing a conclusion there and doing some speculating? No, I'm not at all. And you know why? Because John doesn't refer to this star as an it. He doesn't say, I see it fallen. What does he say? He refers to him as him. To him was given. He sees the star fallen. He says, to him was given. To him. John is clearly talking about a person of some sort. He's not talking about a stellar object. All right? That's the first thing. Secondly, John also doesn't describe this individual as falling from heaven. He's not falling, but he says what? Fallen from heaven. The tense that he uses here in the Greek is the perfect tense. And in Greek, that tense is used when a completed action is being described. So in other words, this fall has already taken place. John's seeing it, but he's saying that this fall has actually taken place at some point in time previously. Now third, this personage is given what John describes as what? The keys to the bottomless pit. The keys to the bottomless pit. The, the word in the Greek for this place, the bottomless pit, is abusos in the Greek. It's the same word used in Luke 8.31 where it re- specifically refers to a place where demons reside. You might remember this passage, but beginning in verse 26 of Luke 8, it says this. Luke 8.26, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, speaking of Jesus, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. 
and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion because many demons had entered him. Now listen to verse 31. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The abyss is the same word that's being used here in this chapter in Revelation. And the word in the Greek is abusos. Now, what can we conclude from these things? Well, I think it's safe for us to conclude that the person John is seeing and referring to here is none other than Satan himself. He's talking about Satan. Satan is often symbolically referred to in the scriptures, in the symbolic context of a star, in various places. In fact, his alternate name, the name that he had before the fall, was Lucifer, which literally meant light bearer or morning star. And Jesus himself also spoke of Satan using similar language to the language that John is now using here in this description of Revelation 9. He says in Luke 10, 18, Jesus says this, Luke 10, 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The idea there of lightning is very similar to the concept that, Paul, or that John is using for a star that he sees falling. And the statement most certainly seems to be connected to this verse that we're reading here. And as such, I think it's very safe for us to conclude that this is Satan that John sees as the center of this particular event. But how, what, what fall, you know, what fall is, is John referring to? Well, to understand that, you have to understand the history and the background of Satan himself. And, and I don't want to spend a lot of time giving undue attention to Satan. And, and I think there's a lot of that in Christianity today. And you guys have been here a long time. You know I don't do that. You know, I'm not looking for demons under every rock. I'm not calling out all the attributes of Satan all the time. You know, we do, but we do need to be familiar with what the scriptures teach about him, you know, at the same time. So there's a balance to this. But at the same time, as we look at this, to, to understand what we're seeing here, we do need to know some things about it. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah uh, chapter 14 are the two pivotal scriptures, the passages that deal with Satan himself. And based on these scriptures, and, and there are some other minor passages where he comes up, but, but there are some things that we do know about him. First of all, we know from Ezekiel 28 and verse 14 that he's an angelic being, that he's an angelic being. It tells us in verse 14 of Ezekiel 28, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. Now, I understand the cherubim, the seraphim, and, and the angels. They're all different categories, but they're these celestial beings. And so I categorize them as angels. But he was one of them. He was the anointed cherub, Ezekiel tells us. We know from Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 that as an angelic being, he was created by God. He didn't always exist. Here's what it tells us in Nehemiah chapter, uh, chapter 9 and verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven. The heaven and heavens with all their hosts. That term is referring to the angelic creation, which we've already established from Ezekiel 28, 14, that he was one of those. And so therefore, all of those hosts, Nehemiah is saying, was created by the Lord. The earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, the host of heaven worships you. In fact, we know from Colossians 1.16 that Jesus was the impetus for the creation of angels, which would include Satan. 
It tells us in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So we know that Satan is an angelic being, that he was created along with creation, he was created, and that Jesus was the impetus of that. Third, it appears from Genesis 2 and verse 1 that as an angelic being, Satan was created at some point during the six days of creation. Here's what it tells us in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. So during the six days of creation, Satan and the angelic hosts would include include him, they were created. Now, this clearly negates the idea that's held by a lot of Christians that the angels existed and fell at some point before the six days of creation. There's even greater evidence of that as I go through, that that's not the case, that actually everything began during the six days of creation and thereafter, and I'll explain that in a moment. Fourth, we know from Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 13, that Satan was initially present in the garden in an unfallen state. Ezekiel 28, 13, actually beginning in verse 12, says this. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So clearly says he was in Eden. He was in the garden. And, and from the description there, we can conclude that he was in an unfallen state when he was in the garden. Fifth, we know from Ezekiel 28, verses 14 and 15, that before his fall, he held a special place among the angels. It tells us in verse 14 of Ezekiel 28, you were the anointed cherub. The anointed cherub. In other words, a place of prominence. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Sixth, Ezekiel 28 and verse 13 also lends some support to the idea that Satan at the time, also known as Lucifer, might actually have been the worship leader of the hosts of heaven. Here's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, I understand there's a lot of you know, controversy whether or not that's talking about him being a worship leader. But if you look at the Hebrew, it does seem to lend some credence to that idea. But at the very least, the, the language can imply that Lucifer possessed great musical giftings. By the Lord. And that's not to say that worship leaders are satanic, okay, just so you know that. Right? I know in some circles they can be, but, uh, you know. But, but this verse also makes clear something else here. It makes clear that Satan is a created being, right? Because what does he say at the end of that? From the day you were created. It's amazing. There's even Christian groups today that are getting the idea that maybe Satan always kind of existed. You know, that he's kind of the antithesis of Jesus, the eternal one, that maybe Satan existed eternally. But, but that's not the case. He's a created being. He's a created being, and it tells us very clearly. And seventh, we also know from Ezekiel 28 and verse 12, Ezekiel 28, 12, that Satan was an extremely bright and, and beautiful being. And it tells us in Ezekiel 28, 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
In fact, even after his fall, Scripture seems to indicate that these are attributes that he still possesses to some degree, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Paul makes a clear reference to, to Satan and he warns us of his intelligent nature. Here's what he says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 11, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, craftiness implies some level of intelligence, doesn't it? So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what? It's amazing to me. You know, as I look around at society today that just says we're so stupid and we're all so smart. And yet the ones that are saying they're so smart, they don't even know the Lord. Just tells you who's at work there, right? In, in the midst of that intelligence. And that's not knocking intelligence. You know, I, I can knock it because I'm not that smart. But I know people who are. I mean, my own, my own family, my kids, they definitely didn't come from my gene pool. They had to come from mom's side. But, but the brilliance of the kids and their abilities and stuff, it's fantastic. And I, I'm not knocking intelligence. But I'm saying that we also can't underestimate Satan in this regard. He was created with wisdom. He was created with intelligence. And he was bright. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 4, Paul also indicates that though Satan became a, a hideous creature after his fall, he can still reflect a beauty that attracts people. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. You see, I always say to people, you know what, everything in this world, people say, well, that's, that's got to be of the Lord because that's good. Well, everything that's good is not of the Lord because the enemy can imitate the enemy is very good at transforming himself into light and brightness and, and, and things that would appeal and things that would attract, you see. But when and how did his fall come about? That tells us about him, but, but when and how did his fall come about? Well, the scriptures don't precisely answer the question as to when Satan fell. Lots of people have lots of theories about it, but, but, but the scripture doesn't clearly tell us, but we can reasonably conclude from what the scriptures does tell us that it happens sometime after the sixth day of creation. After the sixth day of creation. Now, why do I say that? Because the Garden of Eden wasn't created until what day of creation? Anybody know? The sixth. It was created on the sixth day. And Ezekiel describes Satan as being good while being in the garden, right? We already read that passage in Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 15. So if he was good while he was in the garden then it had to happen after the sixth day. And Genesis 1.31 tells us that at the conclusion of all creation, that God did what? He declared everything that he made was good. Here's what it says in Genesis 1.31, that God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So at the end of that, everything was still in order. Everything was still working. So therefore, we can firmly conclude that his fall had to have occurred at some point after day six of creation and not at some point before that, that day, as, as some would speculate. That blows a huge hole if you've ever heard something called the gap theory. Gap theory comes from the idea of the world being you know, formless and void and that, that the word could be construed to say that the world existed and maybe something was on it but it had been kind of washed over. You know, and that the idea that Satan and the angels fell at some point before that, but those verses alone would tell us that that's an impossibility. So it blows a huge hole in the gap theory. So when did he fall? When did he fall? Well, we don't exactly know, but some suggest that he fell within the first hundred years after creation. I like what uh, the website Creation Today says. They sum it up this way. 
We know from Scripture that Adam was 130 when Seth was born. And that is the first date given in Scripture. Before Seth, they had Cain and Abel, but dates are not given. Before he had Cain and Abel, they were removed from the garden. Therefore, it would have been somewhere around 100 years during which time Satan may have become jealous of the fellowship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God. Satan may have observed their relationship for 100 years and said, Hey, I want them to worship me. I want to rule humanity. I want to walk with them in the garden. I will ascend unto the high heavens. I will take over the seat of the Most High. I will, I will, I will, and thus the fall. But even though we don't know precisely when, we do know how it happened. We do know how it happened. We know from Ezekiel 28, 17, that it happened because of pride, just as the article had said, right? Ezekiel 28, verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Because of pride, Satan lost all sense of his place as a created being. And as a result, the, the, the thought that he could usurp God got into his head, that he could set himself above God and that he could become a God himself. You know, that's not so hard to, to fathom. Look in our world today. The greatest falls come from what? From pride. Men and women begin to think themselves something that they're not. We see that happening in churches today. We watch pastors, God forbid, you know, whatever happened in my own heart. But we're all susceptible to it. How easily we give ourselves over to suddenly begin to feel that we're something that we're not. And it doesn't take long before we begin to assume that we're in a position of being exalted. And we replace God. Who's he in the picture? And that's what scripture tells us happened with Satan. Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14 gives us that description that the article alluded to, but it specifically says this in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I go crazy anymore. When I listen to TV and I hear people on TV, politicians, anchors, whoever, and all I hear coming out of their mouths are those I wills, because you know what? I know whose voice that is. I know whose voice that is. And one day that voice is going to be in the Antichrist because he's the one who's going to go up into the temple and try to seat himself to be worshipped as the Most High. God, you see. But despite all of these pridefully bold I will statements, we know that Satan never ascended to that position. He never got there, but rather he was cast down and he was cast out as a ministering angel of God. Just as Isaiah 14, 15 tells us, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Satan didn't go quietly because Revelation 12 and verse 4 is later going to describe how he took one-third of the angelic hosts with him in a grand rebellion against God. It tells us in, in Revelation 12, 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. There again, stars are referring to the demonic hosts, to the angelic beings that he brought with him. So th that answers the question of what happened that caused his fall. 
it answers it for us. But so far as when Satan's rebellion and fall took place, that, that's unclear. Scripture simply indicates that it happened at some point after day six of creation, but before his temptation of Adam and Eve. But here in our passage in Revelation, John is referring to this fall as he says that this star who had fallen is given the keys to the bottomless pit or the abusos or the abyss. And what is the bottomless pit? What is the abusos? What is it? Well, read on because it tells us in verse 2. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke out of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So John now sees the sun being darkened again, but this time it's the result of smoke that he sees rising from this pit that Satan has now opened. And John likens this scene to the smoke rising out of a great furnace, clearly implying that there's intense burning that's taking place in this pit. And this again correlates with a description to something that Jesus previously gave us because in Luke 16, 24, Jesus tells us a parable about a man who had died and been sent to Hades. And here's what he describes to us. In Luke chapter 16, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Jesus is referring to Hades in this verse, and he describes it as being a place of fire and burning, a description that that perfectly fits what John is now seeing here as Satan unlocks the, the, the door to this pit. It's the same place. And the implication is that this pit, Hades, exists in the earth and that there exists not just a spiritual passageway to this place, but a physical one as well. In fact, in the Greek, the word abusos literally means shaft of the abyss. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.